I'm Andy Scarantino, and this is View from the Roof, formerly known as the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be bringing you bits of goodness to not only help you get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore, but also to get you to think deeper and wake up to the world around you. My mission over the last three years has been to make personal development digestible for those who are ready, but they maybe don't want to speak in a soft, whispery voice or sit in the lotus. Through sharing story and interviewing cool people who are important to me, I hope you'll be able to see the world in a new way. You don't have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and all of this is quite the journey. I'm really excited to have you on that journey with me. Welcome to my View from the Roof. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to View from the Roof. Formerly the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I'm still saying that. I am here today with a lovely guest, Roger Martin. I know Roger from the Friendship Bench, which I think many of you have heard me talk about. And Roger, I am so I'm I'm so excited to have you here. I'm nervous because you're one of the people that whenever I have a conversation, well, whenever I engage with you or I have engaged with you on the bench, I feel like I leave that knowing more and also knowing nothing. <laughs> like, and I think that that's a good thing. Um, I view you very much as uh, a teacher of mine in a lot of ways. And I'm excited to for you to be here and to share some of your view from the roof. Um, well, thank on- you. Thank you. That's really great. I'm sorry that you're nervous. <laughs> I am. I'm nervous. I would love well, for you to introduce yourself and, and help me ease out of the nervousness. <laughs> well, I'm quite nervous too, because I think you're a teacher of mine. So we, we might explore that. I think you, you some of the comments you've made on LinkedIn or you made on the bench as well, and then you're writing on Substack sort of touch me in a way that I've, um, that don't normally uh so it's not um it's not you pupil me teacher it's it's we're both teaching each other here i think so so yeah i'm a brit i live in london um i've spent a life studying human beings um I've spent a life studying my own life i think because uh, it was quite troublesome for uh large swathes of it and uh, got interested in the question around why do you experience life the way you do? And that took me down a rabbit hole that made for a big change in my life. And I found it a very useful question to hang on to as you were kind of stepping into the unknown and um, re-examining a lot of other questions that go along with it, like who are you and how does experience work in each moment and all of that kind of stuff. So, but I found it's, I'm so grateful that I did it. And um, life is very different now to how it used to be. And so inspired by people like yourself and, uh, and others, I'm trying to figure out how do you help others have a similar journey or, you know, come to a realization that we're quite good folk, really. <laughs> we're quite decent really when you cut all the crap away um 
and you know we can make things happen that are wonderful for each other rather than constantly be in this what seems like a false fight with one another so that's that's a bit about who I am and I don't know if you want to know more than that I can be very happy to tell you but that would be a very quick summary it's such a, a deep a question of who are you right I mean like I spoke to somebody about this, I think it was last week, and he said, what do people want to know? Like, what, do they want this? Like, I think it was, how are you, not who are you, but it's, do they want the CV? Do they want the, the the like, the the backstory? Like, what does everybody want? Because I think you and I are on a similar journey in that, like, what are we beneath all that shit? And I don't want to call it shit, like, but what are we beneath all that shit? Um so state state go ahead sorry i think the move from who am i to what am i beneath all that shit as you put it it's a really important shift because the who question takes you to labels of identity you know like i'm male i'm welsh i'm you know had a career in business i you know and all of that label labels all of the labels one could stick onto me that would be descriptors of, um, you know, my gender or my sexuality or my where I was born or the kind of career I've had. But to switch to what am I changes the nature, fundamentally changes the nature of the question because uh, it doesn't lead you down, down the road of, well, this label fits, but that one doesn't. It leads you to, well, it leads me to, <laughs> I have this this sort of bag of skin and bones with energy running through it, which um, happens to give me this gift of um, being conscious of, of the contents of consciousness, as I call it, of the sensations, thoughts and feelings that are emerging in my consciousness from moment to moment. And the more I pay attention to that, the um, less troubling life has become. That's not to say it isn't troubled. I'm not sort of advocating a panacea here, but it doesn't grip. My past, events from my past don't grip me in the way they once did and would drag Mm -hmm. me down into bouts of depression and drinking too much, which I think is also something we share in common. We do do have that in common, yeah. Um, I mean, Yeah, for months on end, you know, for months on end, never seeing... Never, never even contemplating that there is a way out of that. It just seeming, you know, when you're in the pits of depression, you just don't see another reality other than the one you're in. Um, and so, yeah. So the "what am I" rather than "who am I" question, I think, is a really interesting. Is a more interesting question than the "who am I" one. Yeah. I want us to talk about that. I want to hear, though, because my listeners like stories, like, do you, was there a waking up moment? It seems as you spoke that there might have been, or maybe it was a series of moments. Yeah, there was. um, I guess there was an unfolding series of moments. I I guess my primary story is... um, I had, a, I had quite a good upbringing, you know, usual spats with dad kind of thing, but, you know, nothing, no major trauma. Um, I 
but I was estranged from my two daughters for 24 years after a bitter divorce with their mum, who's passed on now, uh, rest her soul. So, um, so that, uh, oh, yeah, I'm getting emotional talking about it, but that 24 years of not seeing the, the children you were present at at their birth and um was quite a thing to to cope with and i'd have these kind of what i called um daymares which are the opposite of nightmares <laughs> you, you know you kind of wake up um having had a lovely dream that everything was fine and then you'd wake up in a cold sweat to the reality that it wasn't and uh um yeah so i mean that was a that was a huge gap that you try to fill by dulling it with alcohol or various other substances. Um, and then I had a, I had a moment. Um, I was listening to a radio show. We've got a show over here in the UK called Desert Island Discs, where well-known people choose eight records from their life and give us the narrative around why they chose each one. And I can't remember who was on the show um, at the time, but I remember one answer hit me by surprise, which was this guy had been in a similar situation to me, estranged from his children. And the interviewer asked him um, a question about um, whether he'd ever see them again, I think it was, or what did he hope for in the future? And his response was really interesting because he said, well, he said, I I would just need to, if I met them again, and I don't know if I ever will, I would just need to start again because I don't know whether we'll get on. I don't know if they'll like me. I don't know if they'll, I'll like them. It'll be like starting over. And the reason that hit me between the eyes was it jolted me out of a make-believe world I was living in my head that they were kind of pining for me or they were missing me or they were, you know, somehow holding me up on a pedestal so that I could um, maybe one day in the future come back into their life and, full, you know, be there for them. And, the, and that comment by this guy on the show jolted me into the reality of, well, it may not be like that at all. You know, we we may... We may dislike one another. We may, we may have a different value set. We may not look at the world in in the same way, and it could be very fractious and difficult. Um, so I was jolted into this. Let's be real here and not live a dream. You know, not continue living in this falsehood that I built, which I think was. Um, not enabling me to cope very well because it it wasn't grounded in a reality it was just a, a full-on mm. hope it was just a full-on hope reader um and so that it that made me curious around how you can just construct something like that in your head and have it dissipate almost in seconds from listening to something by chance on a radio show um 
and then from there I went into counseling and, I, and I, I did a lot of work on myself but that was the spark really that that set the whole thing in motion it's amazing that you heard that differently that that time you could have heard it any way and it was that you received that in in such a powerful way yeah when when you see through the illusion of oh wait this isn't real yeah i've had moments and i don't i don't know how that worked I, I have no clue why it landed that way but it did land that way and it, it uh it started a sequence of things which um you know, it's brought me here today in a much better place including the reunification with my daughters by the way which is amazing which happened 16 years ago now last friday as it happened um and we were we were we were together over the weekend so we had a chance to reminisce on the last 16 years um but um yeah i mean actually getting back together with them helped a lot too because we did get on we do have things in common and we were um you know, we did rebuild things from the start from an honest basis where we could ask each other any questions we wanted to ask. And we, you know, we built things up from there. So um, I'm very grateful for that. Very grateful. Well, that's beautiful to hear. I'm also thinking of the math and I'm like, wait, 24 years plus 16. How the hell old are you? Like, you don't look that old, you know? Well, I will be 65 next February, so I'm coming towards the end of my 64th year. And I was a very young dad, so I was a dad when I was 20 years of age, yeah. Well, I'm so glad to hear that that you all get along and it's so wonderful and that you have this relationship and that you're spending time. I was thinking as you were talking and telling me this the story, well, first of all, the first the first thing that I thought, believe it or not, was that there's a song by Radiohead called Desert Island Discs. And it's, that? yes, and it's a beautiful song and it's deep. And there's a lyric that at the end of it that says, standing on the edge of you, you know what I mean. Different types of love are possible, which is just right. strikes me. Uh, so that was the first thing. But the second thing was back to what am I? And that you had that moment when you were listening to that guy speaking. You know, I had that moment of awakening when my uh, ex-boyfriend left me at the airport. Do you know the story? I don't know if you've known about it, but I, I had a, I was in a long distance relationship with a a man and yeah, I'm not shitting on this man. He's just the catalyst to the story. He's um, a very insignificant part of it. Um, And he's a fine enough person. Um, but I was in a long distance, very reactive relationship with uh, a guy, you know, and I say reactive because we both drank too much and we were kind of chasing pleasure all the time. And it was not a healthy relationship. And we got into a, a big fight when I was visiting him in 2018. And he left me at the airport, um, dropped me off at the airport in the middle of the night. I didn't have a flight home. He blocked my phone number. He went home. He went to bed. And... I had been playing the victim my entire life up until that point for a lot of reasons. And something in that evening just jolted me the hell out of it. Uh, It's a very condensed version of the story, but I was at the, I ended up securing a flight for myself to leave the next morning. And after a night in the airport, a woman at the gate had looked at me and I must've looked like hell because I'd been crying the entire night, you know, and 
crying and vomiting and drinking and, and all kinds of shit. And she asked if I was okay. And I screamed at her. And in, and in that moment, I was like, oh, fuck. Hmm. I have created this entire thing. And I think about the, the question of what am I? Think about your story because I'm like, what is it? that jolted me awake in that moment that I saw it differently, that I heard it differently, that that happened in that moment. And I wonder, did I do it? Like, did I do this at all? Like, am I just, is it really that I'm just here to have the experience of self and all that I am? I don't know. What do you think? I I don't know is the honest answer. I know that um I I know that as you said there are umpteen different ways I could have heard that. Like there are umpteen different ways you could have heard that at airport employee ask when you were okay. Um but there's some there's something about you're just being ready to to awaken to what you what you used a really important phrase in my head, which is, "Oh my God, I'm creating all of this," and that's what it is either visiting you or whatever it is that that's out there is is kind of visiting you and sort of metaphorically waking you up to the fact that yeah, it is you creating this reality, this thing you call reality. Um, and I guess that was the same for me listening to the guy on the radio show you know there was just like oh shit Um, but can I say that I pre-planned that can I say that I was in control of that can I say that I engineered things so that it happened that way absolutely not absolutely not I, I have I don't see any notion of myself playing a part in that and I think that, I think that, let's check this out with you. Maybe what we have in common around my radio show, man, and your airport incident is that somehow we were just ready to hear things in a different way, given that you can spend so much of your life where where it's not good it doesn't feel good it doesn't lift spirits it just feels heavy all the time as you put it you know you're chasing happiness and then you might get it while under the influence of something and then you come down and then it's worse than it was before um so i just wonder whether there's a point in all of us where at some moment in time we're just ready to hear something different and for stuff to fall away you know to, it, i guess that was my experience was what i was hanging on to just melted it just it just fell away and then there was this now what <laughs> you know there was this what else can there be given this this melting um and then i got really curious you know i got really curious about stuff and did, did that happen to you after that did you start to 
Yeah. Did you do you identify with this thing of melting away, this thing of just yes. letting go and and then something new arising in 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 place of what had been difficult? Yes. I well, the way that it started for me was that I I essentially started getting my health in order. But I don't want to put this in a in a context of I did this and then I did this and yeah. then I did this and then I did this because that doesn't matter. Like a lot of the people that I that I have coached and whatever, it's all about the what's happening here. And it's like, well, that's happening. Sure. Yeah. But. It was really. I, I continued to to drink until um, Christmas of 2019, which was nearly two years later. And I didn't drink heavily after the airport incident. I did. I did drink heavily, but not every day, <laughs> you mm. know, like twice a week. And I said that that was, oh, that was manageable. Mm. Christmas of 2019, I had a, a series of meltdowns because I had learned that I really hadn't processed my father's death, which he died on Christmas Eve, 2018. Um, I handled that by getting on a plane and going to California two days later um, mm. to drive from San Diego to Seattle because I had planned it coincidentally with the same guy that left me at the airport because I didn't learn my lesson. And um, so I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I was mm. like, oh yeah, that happened. Well, then a year later, I still hadn't really dealt with it. And it crept up on me um, when I went to his house, which I hadn't been to in a year. And my stepmother brought out a box of his watches, like every watch that he'd ever like owned. And there were ones there in there from the 80s that I remember like seeing him wear as like a little kid. And I just started crying and I just couldn't stop. Um, and, and I... And I realized in that moment, keeping the story again brief, that I didn't know how to feel emotion. So I was going to stop drinking until I, I learned how to deal with myself. And I'd say three weeks into that, this is going into 2020, there was this clarity. And it was like I was awake for the first time. like, And I hadn't felt that since I was a teenager. Mm. And I was like, oh there's stuff going on with me and i need and i i i don't know how i have access to all of this again for the first time and i don't even know how long but i i want to lean into this and see what this is all about and the universe kind of serendipitously brought a man into my life named andy and Andy was a gift. He was a gift from the universe. And it happened right before COVID. And when the pandemic happened, Andy was on this, you know, our lives paralleled in a way that he was on this spiritual journey. And it seemed to be very similar to mine in that we both had kind of really hard years at around the same time. And we were kind of going in the same direction. And I was like, this is just too... This could be a coincidence, but I don't think it is. Mm. And he was a and he was a life coach, and and part of the reason that I got into doing the work that I do now. And he was a he's a fantastic life coach. Mm. He has access to things. I know a lot of coaches, and the way that he can just tap into that energy is is unreal. And I started being again like you, curious. It's like, well, what is this? 
there's mm-hmm. something happening and I'm, I, my little me isn't doing it. It's being done and I'm yeah. experiencing it. And Andy really was the one that kind of introduced me to a lot of either came directly from him or by way of him that, hey, if you change your inner world, your outer world is going to change. Even so much as people around you are going to change without you doing anything. And I said, that can't be real. And and it, it is. It is, yeah. I identify with that moment of clarity you just mentioned there because it's it's profound, isn't it? And it's peaceful. Was it peaceful for you? Unlike anything I'd ever known. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, it was like it's like you you got to welcome that in. <laughs> I want more of that. How do I get more of that? It was just. A barrier to getting more of it if you kind of really want it but uh um i i've had several experiences like that and it's um i, I think there's something in what you said also that resonated with me that it's beyond little me it's not me doing it and there's something about you often use the word with people i coach often use the word surrendering if you're surrendering to some intelligence out there or god or call it what it, i don't mind what you call it the words don't matter in fact if you call it something it, the words can get in the way i think we've had a conversation about that before when the right. down number one i think it is you, yeah you put, as soon as you start to name it that it, it it becomes problematic but if we put that little problem to one side and you just surrender to the idea that there's something whatever it is bigger than any one individual's intellect and in that surrendering you just um don't panic about it (laughs) don't worry about it and just know that life will be full of ebbs and flows and you can be in either of those experiences without being so frightened by them that's what made a huge difference to to me and um and yeah you know as as, as i said earlier i i don't know about you but i still get down from time to time i still get in a rage from time to time i still have the full range of emotions that most humans have but what i note now is they don't last for months or years on end and i see them for what they are and they're much. I see the transience of them much more. So they, they come and they can visit me and, you know, draw me down for five minutes or five hours sometimes, but not five days or five weeks or five months. It's a very, very different uh, degree of frequency, degree of intensity, and duration. If they're not as long as they used to be before. Um. Well, and for that, I'm grateful. It's. I think about I think about this because I was reading an article. This man on Substack wrote, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Tomas Poyo, when he was talking about the values of the free world and the pursuit of happiness. And I believe that the pursuit of happiness 
is perhaps, and I don't want to, I'm careful with the word good, but perhaps not a good thing. And I was always taught that that was the goal, right? Your goal is to experience happiness, constant euphoria. If you're not happy, there's something wrong. And if you're not, and, and I have had clients who to this day, I have had clients who that when is it going to be rainbows and butterflies? Never, ever. Mm. And that is the point where people click off the podcast. So we just lost half the listeners. But but mm. really, if you could if you could grok it just a little, it's it, anytime you are chasing the pursuit of happiness, you're going to have the counterforce of it mm. all. And rather than just be with what it is, like if we were absent of this manifestation, objectively, everything that is felt is the experience. Hmm. The gnarliness is an experience. Like I feel angst in my body. Yes, there's a message about me behind that angst. And I'm also having the grand experience of feeling angst, which is... Hmm beautiful from a a, a a perspective that isn't oh little andrea is pissed off today like it's mm. it's not the idea like when i was in this this pursuit of happiness everything that didn't make me happy was a catastrophe and so i would ruminate and live in that why is it wrong why is it wrong why am i bad why have i failed why have i become this and it's almost boring. Like being peace is boring is delightfully boring. Mm. It's hard to sell it <laughs> because it's so boring. And I can't describe it in a reactive way of, oh, I'm gonna I'm so happy now that I don't have pain. It's like, no, I have pain. I'm 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 at peace with this that my life is in that space i still want to go back to the what though like the what am i because it seems that when you felt that source connection i'm going to call it source connection for lack of a better anything you you're in that and you're like oh this 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 mm. and it's like <clears throat> that's where i i stop and I'm, it's it's almost like someone or something stops me from saying oh this i'll be quiet well it is somewhat ineffable ineffable it's hard to describe and you know i i certainly had experiences where i've been in nature and shook with nature you know literally sort of been um yeah i've sort of had the experience of a tree looking at me and being <laughs> and it all sounds a bit weird and stuff and so and so talking about it i get reticent in talking about it sometimes because it sounds a bit weird I don't but, think so, Roger. I want to interject. I understand this experience. I want to interject one quick thing. Go for it. 
I never could get quiet enough. I'm going to say I'm careful with never to, but I hadn't been able to get quiet enough to have those experiences. A lot of the reason is I live in New York City. There's a lot of psychic energy. It's a mess. And then I took a therapeutic dose of psilocybin um, summer before last. Therapeutic. Didn't trip out. Didn't, you know, any of that. Just a therapeutic dose. And I went to my mother's house a couple of days later, and I was running on what is called the Heritage Trail. It's a rails-to-trails uh, path. And when I was finished, I decided that I wanted to pee in the grass because I had to pee, and I couldn't wait till I walked home, which was about two miles. So I pulled down my shorts to pee in the grass, and a flower bumps my butt cheek. And I distinctly heard the flower say, hey, watch it. And I turned around, and I looked at the flower. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I realized, oh, there's this communication happening all the time. My brain's just so busy that it can't hear it. Yeah. So please continue on with your, your stories of nature. But well, I just want to in- throw that in. It's interesting that you said your brain never got quiet enough because I was in the middle of a retreat when this happened. And I was... I was walking to the third of four days, I think it was, through a park, and um, I spent the previous two days getting quiet, or you know, or certainly looking at what creates so much noise, which is the the attention we pay to a constant stream of thoughts that comes through us. And I remember the night before this happened. I'd um, I'd fallen asleep in the retreat because I just noticed how my head just was so full of shit. Right? And I remember the guy doing doing it, Paul, the guy, a friend of mine who was doing it, was pleased I fell asleep, <laughs> which I thought in itself was kind of odd. Anyway, he was really pleased that I, that I nodded up, and. Um, he came back in the afternoon and we did a little bit more work and he said, you go home tonight and meet again tomorrow. And I went home and I had the deepest night's sleep I've had in, I don't know, 40 years or something. It was just, it was just so deep and, and uh, restful. And I woke the next day and I had about, a, I don't know, half an hour, maybe 40 minute walk to the venue. And I have to go through a park near where we live, big, well-known park. And um, it was a kind of chilly morning. It was a spring morning, but it was quite chilly. And I could feel as the as the wind was touching my skin, it warmed. <laughs> and I saw this sort of avenue of trees ahead of me. And it was like the trees were all looking at their eyes and they were looking at me and there were blackbirds ahead the black of the blackbird was just so vivid and ahead were these parakeets which are kind of like a lime green bright green parakeet and i remember the black and the green and the and the greens were flying and the blacks were on the ground blackbirds were on the ground and i started this kind of like vibrating and shaking that was it wasn't it wasn't scary shaking it was it was resonating f- vibration you know it was like um well it was like that piece you were describing that it, it was it was full of calm it was like i'd never experienced anything like it before 
and it probably lasted milliseconds. It didn't last. It wasn't. Right. Well, it, it wasn't as though it went on for twenty minutes or something. If if it lasted, if it lasted five seconds, maybe we're, we're talking in. But it was so profound. It was like, it was like my, you know, it was like the reality I normally live in has got nothing on what just happened. Absolutely nothing on what just happened because this felt so profound and so I just felt like you know that we you know, words like oneness and you know um such in the source as you you mentioned earlier. I don't know you, you know people will talk about Jesus visiting you or there's lots and lots of words for it and I I don't want to get into into what it was because uh, I don't know I just know what I felt. Um and yeah, the re the retreats continued, and I just got you used the word deep earlier, <laughs> and some people will describe me as deep, but I just got deeper and deeper into what the hell is this all about? How how does how is this shaping the reality I live in, you live in, we all live in? And if we all got some sense of the fact that so much of the reality we live in comes from the way we make sense of the sensations, thoughts, feelings that arise in us, and, and, and isn't so governed by the events or the people and circumstances we find out there, this world would be a profoundly different place. Right. It would be a profoundly different place. It would be more loving. It would be more caring. We would solve collectively so many of the problems we encounter together. Um, and I remember you saying, I remember you writing a piece once. Um, I think it was on the, about the war-torn areas of the world at the moment. And I think you said at the end of your post on LinkedIn, you know the answer it's love mm -hmm. and and that struck me as profound um it, i i was i was reflecting on that a lot and then shortly after reading that we we had a sort of family situation where my my partner's mother um her mother had a fall and broke a hip and needed to come and um, stay with us for some while. And, you know, there was of course, a lot of disruption and anxiety about all of that. And I was asked how I felt about it. And I would, I drew on your comment because I said to family members, well, love is always the answer. So what's your question? Mm. And it, and it, and it, it guided how to cope with that shift in, in gear that me and Selena, my partner, needed to make to, to support her mother through a, a recuperation period. Um, you know, yes, it was inconvenient. Yes, it was, it, it meant we had to change our way of life and all, all that goes with that. Um, and it was growthful for us both, I think, in 
in being there for her in a way she needed it for eight, eight, nine weeks just to get well again. And sure enough, she's making progress. So thank you, Andy, teacher. Oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I, what I'm feeling now, I guess, is, is ego, right? Like my ego is, is happy. Um, and my soul feels like it's just, you never know the risk, the ripples, you know, you don't see the ripples. You don't get to see that huh. someone on the other side of the world's partner's mother broke her hip and the way that that experience was affected because of some yeah. words that you penned and not because of, it's not directly a result, but when I look at things like that, I think, to, uh, and I'm not thinking with my conscious mind when I see things like that, and this is not, I think, wait, oh, we are doing it together. Like we're all doing yeah. it. We're doing it together. And some of us are learning like to love with each other. Not everyone is. I think it, it's very simple. I love the, the, what's your question? I remember you said that on a bench and I wrote it down. Like loves the answer. Now what's your question? Thinking back to our drivers as humans, if it's love or if it's fear, I try to go back to that a lot because if those are our two primary drivers, I know what fear feels like in my body and it's gross. And I know when I write a piece and I'm feeling fearful rather than loving, I I see how it's received. And that's all, a lot of the times like my grasping energy, my not kind and like, you know, my lack of kindness and when i'm thinking when i'm being in in love it's very different mm. i i get cerebral about things like war and things like i mean even you know i think it's very noble for example um what dennis is doing about homelessness and things and things like that and very noble work. And um, I have every bit of respect. And I know that there's no bypassing of the inward journey for the individual. Hmm. So while we may aid people who are at war, we might provide medical supplies, we might aid people who are unsheltered we might provide housing like while nonprofits do wonderful work like while all of this is so important every human has to go inside mm. and when i was i've been hearing people talk about war my entire life and seeing war my entire life and so talking about it in the reactive angry sense i think is useless mm. i mean it's going to happen and everything has the right to exist but I was thinking about if we have that ability to connect with just one other human, like if your consciousness point of light can connect with just one other in a loving, powerful way, if you can love that person, maybe that person who's fighting in a war right now will have that Desert Island Discs. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. And better still if those commanding them do so and those commanding the commanders do so because the power to end a war lies with those who have the power to begin it. Um, I was listening to, I take an interest, I'm a, I'm a, Andy, I'm a political animal, I guess. Um, and I've been following uh, your politics in the United States, and particularly the growth in the popularity of Bobby Kennedy Jr. And uh, I know he draws various criticism, but he was telling a story of how um, his uncle, JFK, um, opened up a private line to Khrushchev in the Kremlin at the height of the Bay of Pigs, um, potential nuclear meltdown we faced in 1963 or whenever it was. Mm -hmm. um, and JFK was mistrusting of the advice he was receiving from his generals who he saw had a vested interest in um, using the weapons at their disposal. And when you just said about if one person could have that light, could see a light in another, J JFK bypassed the generals and had and created a private line with interpreters to his um, counterpart in in the Kremlin, and they were able to have direct contact with each other independently of their military advisors. Mm. And RFK was arguing that that's what changed the course of history. Mm. Um, because had, the, had both presidents listened to their military generals, they were playing war games around, well, if they kill so many million of us, we'll kill you know, 20 million more of them. So in that game, we'll win because we'll kill more than they will kill. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and JFK's, uh, according to RFK, JFK's principle was that the first duty of a president is to stop his nation going to war. And um, it, you know, in these times when tensions are rising around the world in various parts of the world, there was so much in what he was saying that's relevant to the conversation we've stumbled on, I think, around senior leaders, um, elected politicians, seeing their role as primarily to prevent war, not enact revenge, not, mm -hmm. you know, score points, not play war games with um, enemies and to transcend all of that. And um, I just wish we had more leaders like that. You know, I think about that. I agree. I think, and I'm going to say think, conscious mind. I think that to be a leader in that position with that um, perceived power, there's a great deal of ego. And... 
there's a great deal of learning um, capacity, right? Capacity. And I, I think about, this is going to go on a little bit of a road, but I'm going to bring it back. Talk about personal capacity. A lot of people want to be famous, but they don't, they wouldn't have the capacity to be famous, to, to, to handle what it takes to be in the spotlight, especially here with our, in America, with our media, like to be a celebrity is you have to have enormous capacity as a, as a person. I don't have that capacity. I don't know how I would handle it if a hundred thousand people knew who Andy Scarantino was. I got a couple hundred who might think I'm okay, you know, and then I'm working on that capacity. So, so to get, to, to get to be where, where JFK even was like, that takes a, a hell of a lot of capacity, but you know, nowadays it's like what going back to what's the question. My question is, well, what's the lesson for these people in these leadership positions? That's a question. And I still, you know, I'm, in my heart, there's a part of me that's a sociologist, and I'm going to bring in Karl Marx. And I read the Communist Manifesto many times, and I still think the power lies in the people. Mm. Like, still, I believe that there's power in masses. And I think of our collective, um, mine and yours, but also the bench, right? Like, I'm thinking about the bench and how many people have had moments. And how we've managed to find each other. There's no logical reason why I should know you, no. but I but I do. This is also our first one-on-one conversation, so I hope everyone's enjoying it. We've invited you all. Yeah. Um, but going back to you, Roger, I mean, it. there's no logical reason, so maybe this is the beginning of the power in the masses. Like, oh, wait, I'm awake. Maybe I can help. What are my ripples? Can I be sound enough and stay in the center enough to expand my ripples? And I don't think it'll go too slowly. I really, not after the pandemic. I think it's accelerating. Yeah, I've, I've been reading some of your Substack posts on the end of the internet. I think you call time. It's time. The time to leave the internet is time coming. to leave the internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um i i share some i find that quite interesting because i share a lot of what you were sharing there i did i suppose my own hope is in my own question for the leaders would be if you did go within what would you learn Mm. and i i think that um i do see my hope is i think that that power to the people point you made won't necessarily come from a Marxist revolution, but it will come from a technology that will decentralize power um, to communities where value will be created by communities of people that are less dependent on corporates to manage all of that for them or governments to manage all of that for them where we can create things of value for each other and exchange money freely in digital form between one another. And that community becomes the organizing body, if you will, principle, whatever, that that um, 
gives us the means to build a life together that we all value and we all want and it's and, and power resides there rather than in government or in or in corporates and that's not to say we won't need corporates and we won't need governments but they just they just needn't be as powerful as they've been if you can set communities free to create value among themselves and um that may not be an easy road because it it does mean a transfer of power and a transfer of wealth, uh, but I do, I do think it's coming and it's possible, and it needn't be bloody. In that transition, needn't be a bloody one. It could be a very empowering one for all concerned. So it could be a story of the power in the people coming to good coming to good for the people and not be a, a stories of heroes and villains who need war to be defeated so that X can win the day. I, I, that's the story we're trying to break free of, I think, and try to do things in a different way. So, But I agree with you. I think it does help to have looked within first mm-hmm. and to see what you see, one thing in particular, that the reality you create Though it seems like it's, it seems as though it's created by other people and events and circumstances and history and all of that. It seems like that. I get it. I thought that for 54 years. But in my waking up moment, I thought, oh, no. I'm looking at everything that's going on out there through this lens of sensations I'm feeling, thoughts that come to me that I create meaning out of and the feelings that result from all of that, that's what determines how I interpret what's going on out there. And that's that was just like, it was like, I'm going to use one of your words, fucking hell. <laughs> how on, why didn't I see that before? In fact, one of the first books I read about it was by a book called Jack Pransky. The title of the book was Somebody Should Have Told Us. Oh, my God. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's called Somebody Should Have Told Us by Jack Bransky. And it's a, it's a quote from a number of people he's worked with who've had moments like the ones we've been sharing with each other here. of like, you know, awakening moment, call them what you will. Um, and when they had done, they'd often come back to Jack and say, somebody should have told us this before. <laughs> Oh, Roger, it's great. It reminds me of um, a client of mine that just finished. And I remember it was so cool the way that she talked about this because she said, oh, I didn't know. Now I know. And like the way that she just said it, so she's like, oh, I didn't know that. Now I know. Okay. And it was just so like profound, but also like nonchalant. Yeah, yeah. And not everybody gets gets to it. Yeah. And we it's and, kind of course, like, and of course once you know you can't unknow. You can't unknow. That's, that's the other thing about that nonchalance. It's like that's what I that's what I hear in the nonchalance you're describing is, oh now I know it. There's no way I can unknow it. So that's cool. What next? Now what? Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. I I think of there was something about me in the early days of coach I'm still in my early days of coaching I've been doing it three years three years I mean like that's a very short period of time 
but I used to have this in attachment to everyone knowing and everyone seeing. And I realized that there were people that didn't, that wouldn't, and and or they will, but not yet. I think I'd like to think that they will, but not maybe not yet. And I'm not going to say that I'm in any way superior or not, because that that would be stupid. Like it's it's just I just am. But I I you know when you know, and when you know, you're just like oh. Oh, oh, I don't know. I I have, you know, like, you know, my mentor, my first mentor, Andy, I told you about before, he really, he's really about psychedelics and I'm, I, I did it without psychedelics. I mean, yes, I did tell you that I took that therapeutic dose of psilocybin, which I've done a whole two times, but this all happened before that. I mean, yeah. besides, you know, so I, but I was you and I had a conversation on the bench just this past bench, which the listeners aren't weren't involved in, but to summarize briefly, the conversation was, does age have to do with it? And we, I think we collectively came to the, uh, the what's whatever the word is that no, the age does not have to do with it. Yeah. Um, but do you believe that people that are older will have a harder time or we'll need some sort of significant event or like what what is your belief on that because we do have we do have brains with neural pathways and I do get that there is some sort of science to it although I don't know how much but my take is I mean I've been coaching for over 30 years and um I identify with that oh you got to get it you got to get it <laughs> and and as soon as you're in that space you could it it it's it's hard to coach well. You can do some right. good, but it's hard to coach well. And I just see it about creating the space in which the probability that something will occur for someone is is magnified, increases. That's why I, I kind of stay away from calling it coaching, actually, because I find a lot of people think when they got a coach, they're going to be told what to do. Right, right, right. Um, uh, like a football coach might or a rugby coach or what have you. So, um so the word is problematic for me. So I'm careful around around the word. But um, what was I going to say? What was the question again? I dived into the coach. Age. Oh, yeah, age, age. I do think that I've seen I've seen teenagers who've had experiences like that we've described, and it came to them easily. It kind of flowed. Um, I've seen I've seen people present at conferences around kind of issues like bullying at school and how they get into the mind of a bully and don't let the bully's antics affect them at all, but become quite compassionate for the the bullied and and how lost they are in thought and the contents of their consciousness such that they have to bully people. And I felt really inspired by those teenagers. My experience from the coaching room is the older we are, the more the the more laid down those neural pathways are. And so there's more what some people call contaminated thinking laid down from an early age that needs undoing or you know seen for what it is, which is memory that can have 
a big impact on how you show up now, but needn't if you see it for what it is and its transitory nature. So um, I think it's, I think it can be harder because there's more stuff to wade through. But I also know that even people who are much older than their teenagers in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s can still spend a long try time trying to understand what you and I point to in our work. And there are others who are of an age can get it in an instant. Mm. So... So whilst the science might say there's more stuff to wade through, the wading can still be done quickly or slowly. Right. Um, and I think it goes back to something we touched on right at the beginning of our conversation, which is about readiness and openness and and a and a and something or other that that helps you hear a guy on the radio or experience a night in an airport and and hear you know the airport employee asking if you're okay and just and just that landing with you in in a way that such an such a show on the radio or a lady in the airport wouldn't have land wouldn't have landed before so there's something about there's something about that connected to this as well i think it's i think if the the seeker, let's call them, the person trying to make their lives better, are open to the idea of surrender, open to the idea of seeing the nature of reality and how it's created by us unwittingly and all, in all innocence very often. Right. If there's readiness for that, the probability will happen seems to increase, but there's no guarantee with it. There's never right. a guarantee with it. Mm. And I think the more as coaches we get we promise things or we get wedded to the idea of I've got to get this person to this place, the less likely it is to happen. It's much more serendipitous than that. Yeah, I, I, I feel that. And that was inner work that I had to do, you know, because yeah. I was like, I can't continue to attach to that. And you're right that it's hard to coach well because you'll try to go into your brain to figure it out and it's not your problem to figure out yeah you know That's so it's it's your your it's the it that exists that comes through yeah. and that that is the thing that isn't done in your intellect yeah it's beyond your intellect mm -hmm. yeah and it's being comfortable with the fact it's beyond your intellect also increases chances it may happen because mm -hmm. i if i if i go back to your question about who am i what am i I, I, in my journey with this, I needed to hang on to my intellect for dear life because I assumed that who I knew myself to be would disintegrate if I did not. Mm. And I relate actually, to that. Yeah, I felt like, well, God, if I, you know, if I don't think that anymore, then who the hell am I? You know, it was yeah. All of that, all of that fear was around. Um. But then, you know, you know, slowly but surely, it all began to alter, and I didn't, you know, I didn't fear losing who I was or what my background had been or all the experience that I had. I got far more curious about interpreting all that in a new, more exciting, more helpful way, um, and that's what took over. But for a long while, I was living from the fear of, 
but I don't think this anymore. I won't know who I am, right? And that's what held me in my intellect for way longer than I, um, way longer than could have been the case. And um, yeah, it, it's giving that up and not being frightened of it is what is what opens us to the love you were talking about earlier, I think. And um, yeah, I feel like I'm rambling now. So no, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, something I, I relate a lot to. You know, intellect for me was safety. So when I was young, it was it was safe. I was smart. I knew I was smart. As long as I'm smart, then that's that's good. Um, so I knew what I knew, what I knew, what I knew, what I knew. And it was embracing the I don't know shit that that was really helpful because then it was possibility. You said the words we were, when we were a little whiles back about the neural pathways and about memory. And as I explore this idea of being a point of consciousness moving like like and not moving in linear time, but just being I am here different spiritual people talk about timelines and how things can change past, present, future. Joe Dispenza talks, uh, notes a, a study about that, about being able to change the past with thought. I found that as I go further down this path, there are people that have memories about my life that I don't have. And if you ask anybody that know me, I have a memory I have a yeah. memory. I remember everything. Yeah. And um, it was last year. My brother said something to me about, yeah, your ex-boyfriend uh, lived uh, beneath our dad. Remember? He lived in that apartment down there. And I'm like, I don't remember that. I don't think that that ever happened. He's like, no, 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 that happened. And I was like, not in my memory, it didn't. And I'm like, maybe, maybe it, maybe it did happen. Maybe in this timeline that I'm now in, it happened. And instead of trying to like sort out the memories, I'm just like, yeah, okay, maybe it happened. Like I've, I've, I've started to move into the space. I don't know if you're in this space where I've just, okay, I'm not trying to keep the the facts in order or what I know in order. It can change at any time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I call that being in the moment. And um, I, I, I think one of the things in my own uh, journey, you talked there about changing the path of thought. I think that's what you said, changing the thought, the path thoughts take. And I think that's that's that mirrors my own experience because what I what I have learned is I cannot control the thoughts that pop into my head. That was a huge revelation for me. <laughs> It was like, it was like, because um, I get erroneous stuff pop into this head all the time. You know, I get really weird stuff uh, creep into my head, and and I'm not, I just know that that just appears there. I'm not. I don't summon that. I don't choose that. I don't. You know, go and look at stuff and oh, I'll think about that. But I don't think it just arises, right? I the only thing I can influence is what I do with it. How do I interpret it? Now, I, I remember uh, talking, you know, we talk about leadership. I wrote it on my own Substack a piece a while back about how when I was young in school, when I was six or seven years old, 
I was I was hit across you know both sides of my hand as a punishment for a misdemeanor I did not commit. And although I wouldn't have described it as injustice at the age of seven, I felt fucking angry about it, right? Because I had just taken a punishment for something I did not do. And then you bury it, you know, it goes into memory and it's hidden away and it da 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 But, but a realisation I had sort of 50-odd years later was... Um, I have been suspicious of people in power ever since I was seven years old. Oh, wow. Of course. <laughs> of course. Any, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, leaders I worked with or um, whoever, if, they, if, if, I, if I got some notions they had power over me, I'd be, go on, watch out. In a very kind of Marxist sort of way, although I would never describe myself as a Marxist, but in a very, you know, that power dynamic of they've got power over me, therefore you've got to watch them. And it, and I, it dawned on me that this is because I got punished for something I didn't do when I was a kid that I completely forgot about. And then it just came flooding back to me. And I, and I, I like your reaction there. But, oh, well, that explains why I've been such a pain in the ass to say so many people who've got power and I've always sort of showed up to them from a mistrusting standpoint right. you know, and a right. somewhat fearful and once I saw that I started to then started to see actually there are people with power who are really scared of it and they really sort of like don't like being at the top and they that some of them are trying to do some real good with it but if, if all I ever saw was the lens of, oh, he's got power, she's got power, watch out. I never saw all of that other stuff that was equally relevant to them. So, Because it's dangerous to young you, right? Like, that's yeah. dangerous. You're going to get oh, beat. Absolutely. You know? absolutely. So there is, you know, when we were talking earlier about this stuff laid down from a long time, and it suddenly sort of comes back to you and you make new sense of it, as I was describing there. It sort of clears stuff out the way. Well, I need I didn't pay attention to that so much anymore. Right. I didn't didn't take that so seriously anymore. And then when you don't take it so seriously anymore, you start to look at people in leadership, powerful positions, from a, through a very different lens to the one yeah. to the one you did before, and therefore your experience of it changes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I wanted to tell a story on that point, and then I realized how long we've been talking. This has been a wonderful <laughs> conversation. Roger, we're almost out of time. I was You mentioned your Substack, Helpful Questions Change Lives, which everybody can follow, Roger. Um, I wanted to finish with, with that, on that note. If you could propose a question after everything we've talked about today, it's been rich. What would it? What would that question be? Well, I get. I guess my answer to that would be the reason why I started the Substack in the first place, which is the question: Why do I experience life as I do? That question was one that gave me some handrails. It was a guide. It, it was front of mind as I tried to move out of a life of you know, about of depression and a really 
big sob story about Roger Martin into a different way of being in the world that has that has been so helpful. And I created that Substack because I figured that other people who were wavering, wondering about making a similar journey would that kind of question to hold lightly and make personal to them rather than follow me. I'm not saying follow me. I'm saying that, you know, looking this direction to see what shows up. And if that helps one person have a similar realization that you've had Andy and I've had and, you know, and, and wakes them up, wakes up a, a whole different way of seeing the world then my time writing there will have been well worth it. So that's that's what I'm that's my quest that's the question that changed my life. And I'm kind of holding lightly the idea it may help somebody else too, which is why do I experience life as I do? I love that. I think we have an episode title, my friend. <laughs> I do. I would love just as we wrap up if you would love to tell everyone where they may find you. Um, well, I, I, I hang out on LinkedIn under my name, Roger Martin. So that's the main platform I uh, use. I don't use other ones like Facebook or Instagram or, uh, or even X too much. I, I, I sort of hang around on X. I'm one of those loiterers in the background watching what other people say, but don't contribute very much. <laughs> um and then i write on substack because i like substack's model um of uh just putting out there what you want to the change you want to be in the world and how you want to help people and see whether you find an audience or not and um the one thing i'd like to say andy i think i i think we've only begun a conversation here this first one to one it would be lovely if you could reciprocate and join me in a second conversation where maybe we could do on my podcast at some later point or next year sometime. That would be great to continue where we've left off here. I would love that. I would love that. And I have loved this conversation and thank you so much, Roger, for being here. And I'm going to link to all of your stuff in the show notes. So anybody that wants to find, uh, check Roger out at any of the places he's described, just check the show notes and the links will be there. So thank you, Roger, again. It's been a real pleasure.